Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Ah, delicious. Today is, say it with me, Friday, February 17th, halfway through February, more than half, who knew? I imagine someone knew, but still, go figure, right? This week has flown by. Flown! Flown! Flown. <laughs> uh, so, um, let's see. I know I have things to talk about. Yesterday went well. Um, thank you, all of you who sent nice notes of encouragement. Um, you are the wind beneath my wings. Um, I've been having conversations with people, uh, and I, I feel like this is an ongoing conversation with me, uh, you know, like knowing when something's good. Uh, I got through a lot more of Rogue Familiar yesterday, and, um, and I'm happy with it. It, it actually does not suck, <laughs> um, and it will not require eviscerating. Um, yeah, yeah. So, it's good. It's all good. Um, <laughs> I, I think I just had to, to go through that and figure it out and see. Um, but I messaged a friend of mine, one of my crit partners at the end of the day and said, you know, good news on, uh, excuse me, on a rogue familiar, you know, that I made it through. And I said, and I'm happy to report that it doesn't suck and there will be no evisceration. I can't speak today. Evisceration necessary. And they wrote back and just put in quotation marks, it doesn't suck. And I was like, you know, I was trying to explain how I see these things because this is someone who's a newer crit partner for me. And it's like, okay, so I have another writer friend who, um, proclaims that she has excellent taste uh, and, and she says it's something that she's developed over her life and that she has excellent, excellent taste and she knows when something is good. And she says, and she's a later bloomer as a writer too. And she says that she feels like um, that having developed this taste uh, has enabled her to know that her own work is good too. And, or when it is. And she has this confidence in it that, that I simply do not. Um, and I know that she and I've gone back and forth at times when she's asked me, like when I finished writing something and she'll ask me, you know, well, is it good? Are you happy with it? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's good or not. Um, and I was kind of continuing this conversation with my friend over text, this, this new crit partner trying to explain, you know, that for me, like deciding that it doesn't suck is actually pretty good. Um, and even though I, I feel like at times, like I know, and you all tell me, and I appreciate it, you know, like that my books are good. My writing is good, but I never have this feeling 
like my excellent taste friend has of, oh, this has reached its pinnacle. This is amazing. It's really good. Um, there, I'll be happy with it, sure. But this idea of artistic epitome, and I know I revisit this a lot. I feel like it's a, I feel like it's a false construct. Um, what makes something last? What makes something, um, you know, why are Jane Austen's books celebrated all these years later? Um, I saw an artist recently uh, who takes these photographs, a photographer who takes these photographs that look like snapshots and the, I am not articulate this morning. It looks like a snapshot that you would take of like any of us, like a Polaroid. And apparently this photographer uses um, film. It's not digital and, and does not crop, doesn't do anything like that. Um, and she says that she gets like maybe eight good photos a year. And it's interesting because you look at them and they look like a family snapshot, but then there's something that's so compelling about them. Uh, poems. I've, I've been subscribing to the poem a day thing, uh, which is kind of cool. And it's interesting because some of the poems really grab me from the first line and and I get that, that little shiver. But theoretically, everything, every single poem that's been selected for this, like poem a day by, you know, curated by important people with refined taste, right? That they've all reached some measure of quality. So then after that, it's like, how does it hit you, right? Um, another friend of mine, when we were talking about this, was saying that, you know, like, the honing, the polishing, uh, taking the time on something that it's kind of like, um, you know, like in a, a science fiction book or movie where somebody can spend forever getting the science exactly right. And some people will appreciate that, but then they'll, there's other things where they get the science wrong and it upsets a very small number of people who will complain about it, but everybody else really enjoys the thing, right? And they don't care whether the science is off by, you know, a million decimal points or something like that. And one thing that I've noticed is the books that I've spent a whole lot of time really refining, polishing, really trying to get as perfect as possible. And, and I used to have to do this a whole lot more. And so I know that there is a factor here of that I am much faster and more efficient at getting something into, into place. Um, yeah, like, like my first novel, uh, not my first actual novel, but The Mark of the Tala. I spent a lot of time writing The Mark of the Tala and rewriting it. I spent a lot of time rewriting Rogue's Pawn uh, and still didn't get that 
probably to the point where I should have. Maybe I got it to an adequate point, but um, I don't think I ever quite accomplished with that book what I wanted to. But now it takes me much less time to get those things to that point. But the books that I've spent a huge amount of time refining, having edited, polishing, um, those books do not necessarily earn better or, um, or, or receive more acclaim than others. And, and something else I talk about a whole lot on here is the whole idea that, that the longer you spend on something, the better it is. Um, you know, and Dark Wizard is a book that wrote really fast for me. And it's my top earning book. So, and, and probably the one for which I've received the most, I mean, certainly it has the most ratings and reviews. Um, not awards, but there aren't as many awards available now as there were for some of the other books. So, so this idea of whether or not something achieves a level of literary or artistic excellence, I think is often a, an academic thing or it's it's getting this seal of approval from within certain refined circles where everyone agrees upon a certain level of taste. Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't know. You know, it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish. You know, at this point in my life, I'm accomplishing paying the bills, <laughs> keeping us afloat financially. That's a, a high priority. Uh, and I think like, even if you seek to write the thing that will outlast you, that they'll be reading hundreds of years from now, that's not within your control, right? Um, you know, I don't know what, what Tolkien would have thought about being, uh, as you know, having his books as celebrated still as they are. So. I had, I did an interesting exercise yesterday. Uh, I read this article which, to which I will link. Anthony Eichenlaub did a uh, blog post for the CIFWA blog on, for the indie files. We have a regular month, monthly feature on being an indie author on balancing the workload. And I was very interested. It's great when, when your people put together stuff that you are interested in reading. And one of the things that Anthony suggested you do is figure out how much your time is worth I'm putting a dollar figure to it. Now I used to be able to do this very, very easily when I had a day job because I worked in environmental consulting and I had a billable rate. I knew exactly what my billable rate was per hour. And it was a very handy metric to have because I could look at it in terms of, um, how I spent my time uh, because you're always, I feel like we are always doing this balance. And this is part of what Anthony is talking about of time versus money, paying for something versus using your own time to do it. And it's a, it's a metric that goes back and forth throughout your life. I remember being a graduate student and being very aware that um, 
that we were in debt and had no money and my time was worth very little <laughs> uh, and so it was much much more cost effective for me to do stuff myself or for David to do stuff and for us to spend time on things than to spend money so we could spend an entire weekend cutting firewood uh, for our wood stove that heated through the winter and we did uh, we went and cut our own christmas tree uh, he hunted and we cut up our own meat and <laughs> at that time and of course this is 30 years ago too but I, you know, my grocery budget was $50 a week, uh, which is un, kind of unthinkable to me now, but we supplemented a whole lot with, with the meat that David hunted. Right. And we lived in a small Wyoming town. So, I mean, our expenses were, were low cost of living was slow, but over time, when you start making money, you realize that spending your time on the thing that brings in money and paying other people to do stuff is more effective. So looking at this metric, I was really interested because I hadn't thought about it in a while. And Anthony uh, walked us through this formula where you look at um, how long it takes you to write a book um, and revise it and, you know, edit and polish, proof it. And if you're an indie author, it's much more easy to figure this out. Um, all the time that you put into it. And, and you could go so far as marketing and stuff, although that's fungible for me because um, I, I rarely spend time doing promo for just one book. So I only looked at the time it actually takes me to write and edit. And I did Dark Wizard because I do keep track of my, of my time on stuff. And then I looked at how much money has that book generated uh, versus my time. And holy hell, people, if I do it that way, my hourly rate is really high, <laughs> much higher than it was in environmental consulting. Uh, now, mitigating factors on this. I cannot write all the time. If I could take all of those hours and actually write or be revising or editing or working on books during uh, time that I was not spending on other things, it would be different, but I can only spend so many hours a day writing or revising or doing promo before, before I has a tired. Um, But it's very interesting to me to have this metric. If I really wanted to do a deep dive, I should probably figure it out over all of my books, not my top earning book, because I'm sure it wouldn't be that high. But still, um, one of the things Anthony points out, and I think it's worth reading the article, is something that like I already do. Like I know a lot of people, a lot of uh, indie authors, prefer to use vellum and do their own formatting. And I would just much rather farm out. I have a great formatter, um, Paul at BB eBooks Thailand, uh, who I have given credit to before, but I will uh, put him in 
the show notes. Just do a little pin that so I remember to do it. And it's interesting to have Paul format my book. The cost for that is less than what I figured out my hourly rate is. So I'm feeling validated that way that I've made a good financial choice that I do actually have some basis for what, you know, it's certainly farming out that work. Uh, you know, another one is, you know, paying people to do the stuff that you're not good at. Like I'm happy to pay my cover designer because she is the bomb and does so much better than I do. So yeah, it, it, it's interesting to figure out that to balance out that workload, to know what your hourly income is. Um, but also for me to, and I've been doing this for the last few years, kind of looking at what am I spending my time and my money on as far as what brings back the greatest return for me. And I think that probably the people who are the arbiters of excellence are the, probably the ones who would be very upset if the science and the science fiction novel is not 100% perfect. But in the end, things that are, that light people up are not necessarily the things that are meeting this threshold, this bar that's been established by certain groups. So thus you have, uh, as with Twilight, uh, you know, you have someone like Stephen King coming back and saying, well, Stephen Meyer's just not a good writer. It's like, well, exactly what metric are you using here? Because Stephanie Meyer has probably, let's just look. Okay. Stephen King's worth way more than Stephanie Meyer, um, 10 times. He also has had a much longer career. But anyway, you all know that this is something I bring up regularly, that it really angers me that Stephen King uh, felt like he had to slam the quality of Stephanie Meyer's prose. Because um, <laughs> I felt like he lives in a glass house. But um, Stephen King has entertained many people. I've read some of his books. Some of them I like better than others. Um, but... I don't know where where do we do this i mean maybe it's just this human thing where we're like all oh, who's better than who and who's doing better work than whom and all of this uh, so anyway this has been kind of a rambling uh discussion one-sided discussion but it's something that i clearly think about a whole lot and and what it does come down to for me is going back over Rogue Familiar and realizing that there's everything in there that needs to be in there already and and that it doesn't suck. <laughs> um, and so now I can go forward. So there we are. Uh, and a good place to be. So I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. I hope that... Um, that everything is meeting your standards, whatever they may be. And I will talk to you all on Monday. You all take care. Bye-bye.